Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jerome Myers. Thanks for being on the show, Jerome. Whitney, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jerome is a managing director of the Myers Development Group, LLC, also known as MDG, which was established with the mission of improving the world by developing places and people. The company has evolved over the past decade into a consultancy that offers services to individuals, small companies, and government entities, and other firms. MDG is focused on supporting its partners in the areas that are critical to their success. These areas include general contracting, property development, single-family residences, and apartment buildings with 20 to 50 units in Central Virginia and North Carolina, also engineering, consulting, business strategy, and organizational development. Jerome, thanks again for being on the show. Appreciate your time. Share with the listeners a little more about who you are and what your focus is. Yeah, man. I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. Back in, I guess, the 11th grade, I found out what engineering was, and I made the decision to follow that path. And so I went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, study engineering, civil engineering to be particular. After graduating, I went and did some stuff in corporate America. And then back in 2016, I went into real estate full-time. I've been dibbling and dabbling while I was in corporate America, kind of doing some private money lending and learning the fix and flip business from some of my friends. But I wanted to dive in and be fully invested in the process. So we got our first apartment deal in November of 2016. And I think we've done three or four since then. And we just put another one under contract on Monday that's supposed to close before the end of July. So we've been hitting that pretty hard and heavy. In addition to that, we've started a podcast called the Dreamcatchers Podcast, where we highlight individuals who are pursuing their dreams and making them real. And so it's been pretty busy and it's been a really fun ride, but getting to talk to experts like you and other folks on our podcast has kind of been my passion for the past 12 or 15 months or so. You know, I appreciate, like you said, you're a son of a soldier, stay-at-home mom, and you talked about your education a little bit. What made you want to pursue the entrepreneurial journey, or in specifically real estate? Yeah, so in my last role in corporate America, I was in charge of building a division of a construction company, and I was employee number two in that division. And we went from two to about 175 people over the course of about eight months. And we took that revenue from zero dollars to about 20 million. And I think I'd always been interested in being an entrepreneur before, but having the opportunity to actually build a business and then see how the profit and loss statement worked and see the challenges that you have to deal with without actually taking a pay cut gave me the confidence that I could be successful out here. I had a ton of formal training, but the actual experience of running a business without somebody telling me what to do or watching over my shoulder on a consistent basis was, I think, that last piece of experience I needed in order to have the confidence to jump and go. Tell me about the transition from the full-time position or W-2 entrepreneur and what did that look like for you and what gave you the confidence to make that leap? 
it was painful, if I'm completely honest. So I left without a warm start. I didn't have an engineering contract to work on or a flip project that was in process that was going to pay me some revenue. And so I had about a year's worth of expenses and savings. And I just started with that. And some things happened and we were able to make a little bit of money, but it was nowhere close to the high hundreds that I was making in my job. So it was kind of a culture shock. And then some good things started to happen and it never happened as quickly as I hoped it would. And in the end, it never ended up being as much money as I thought it would. But I kept getting those little wins that kept encouraging me to keep going and keep going. And it was interesting because I would consistently get phone calls from recruiters trying to steer me in one direction or the other. And many of them were significant steps backwards from where I was in my previous role. And at times, I often thought it would be a whole lot easier to go do that. But when I started thinking about my children and what I would be able to do with the job versus what I would be able to do with the company I built, and then thinking about my past success in building 30% profitable business with multiple millions over the course of a very small period, I thought that I should continue to path and see if I could do for me what I did for others. I like it. I appreciate your transparency. I think if any of us said that was just easy, you're not being honest, right? Yeah, I mean, from that transition, you know, and if you're used to having that W-2 position and you feel at the time that that's security, right? You feel like that's secure, you know, and it's a lot to give that up. But tell me now, what would you tell yourself now that you've done it, you've grown in this real estate business and you've had those small wins and you're building, building and you're moving forward. You kept going. You didn't give up. You didn't take advantage of what the recruiter's calling. And what would you tell yourself looking back now? I don't know how long ago that was, but what would you tell yourself now that you're in the position you're in now? Somebody else that's maybe struggling in that same spot with that transition. Yeah, I think I would tell them it's never going to happen as fast as you think it's going to happen. And you have to be okay with that. You want to push and fight and drive for results, but understand that just because you want it to happen, that doesn't mean that it's going to happen in the time that you want it to happen. But if you're willing to keep putting one foot in front of the other, you'll get there. It's kind of the tortoise and the hare thing. Like I pride myself on being efficient. And the turtle or the tortoise, every time you read the book, he wins the race every single time. And the hare, he runs and does a dash and then he stops and then he runs and does another dash and he stops. Tortoise is on that same pace. You got to be steady in this thing. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And that for me is probably the hardest thing because I get a thrill off of completion and the arduous piece of doing the task over and over again and being in the process continuously is tough for me. But I do pride myself on being a disciplined person. And so I'll see it through to the end, regardless of how painful that piece of it is. So elaborate on the discipline portion a little bit and how you became disciplined. Or, and you have to be to be an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you have to have some routines and to be consistent, like you've said. How have you developed that personal skill of being disciplined? Well, and it goes back to my dad, right? Son of a soldier. And so he worked a Carolina half day. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, that's you're out the door and at work by six and you come back through your door after six. And he did that every single day without fail. And I look forward to him coming home so that we can have dinner together. But he's my role model. And I patterned my life after him. And 
early adulthood, I tried to do just about everything he did. I've learned that I had to adjust some stuff because we aren't the same people, although he is my hero. And so I've had to make some adjustments in the way that I approach things for my life. But that was the start of it. And so if I carry that through life, I've always been involved in a lot of different activities. I was an athlete and I was actually fortunate enough to be able to play collegiate sports. And in that, we had a pretty rigorous schedule. So it wasn't uncommon to have something going on at 5 a.m., get done with that, have breakfast in the calf, then classes till one or two, then we're watching film, then practice from four to six, six thirty, dinner, and then you gotta do homework. And so there were many nights where I was up past midnight and then back up at five to make sure I didn't miss. And so I guess that was kind of trained in me just through my matriculation through the system. And that stuff didn't end. I mean, when we started working, I just continued those same habits because it was what life was to me. I do absolutely agree. People who think they want to be entrepreneurs so they can do whatever they want quickly go out of business because the discipline that you need in order to be successful in this space it's probably more intense than what you need when you're working for somebody else because you actually don't have somebody to tell you that you need to focus on this or that. And I appreciate your father's service and your family service. It's a family commitment, and no doubt. But I was also in the service. I can relate. I sometimes say that I'm the drill sergeant in the family with my kids and are too much, maybe sometimes. But I relate sometimes my drive back to that military service and the training. And even if I'm running now, it's been many years, but even if I'm running now and there's times I'm thinking, oh, I want to stop, I can start singing cadence in my head. And then it just puts me back in that mindset you know, to keep going. It's just, it's neat, you know, how that training comes back out and even goes through the family. So what about the first deal? When did you get into the first deal? And tell me a little about your, that apartment building. Yeah, and this goes back to the persistence thing, right? So I had my little cash in the bank and I had my 700 something credit score and I'm marching off to the bank. I've got this deal, 23 units. I think it was like 1.3 million. I'm ready to buy this thing. Yeah, you've got like a single family rental or two. You're not qualified to do this. You need to go find some partners. And so I go try to find some partners and nobody wants to touch the deal. The deal stinks. When everybody looked back at it, it was a great deal. And so I put that down to the side because I realized I'm not able to get the financing I need. And I go start flipping houses. And one day I'm standing on the porch of one of my flip houses and another investor in the community comes up and he's said, hey, man, I'm thinking about this apartment deal over in Churchill. I was like, man, I really want to buy that deal. Please don't leave me out. And he goes off and he writes an offer on the contract or offer on the project and the seller rejects it. He didn't like it. So he circles back with me and another one of my investor friends. And he's like, yeah, I really want to buy this, but I wasn't successful on the first offer. And so we all get in a room together and we come up with the strategy and we push the offer over to him, he accepts it. Like, yes, we're in now. And so we go through that. And I think this is June or July of 2016. So we go through due diligence and it took a really long time. We didn't close till November 30th. But we got the deal under contract, came up with our strategy. And then like with most things, the strategy, we were going to renovate on turns. 
And because we had so many issues, we just cleared the property. And, and that was a considerable cash drain on the project. But we had two units pre-lease and the other 21 we expect to lease pretty quickly. So this fall, we hope to refinance. Technology is creating opportunities in the commercial real estate industry at an increasingly rapid pace. Technology-fueled innovations are enabling those forward-thinking firms to reduce back-office costs and risk, raise equity faster, and increase asset performance so that they can focus more time on activities that drive revenue. Today, IMS is the most widely adopted investor management software for commercial real estate firms. Visit us at investormanagementservices.com. Tell me about your first deal and, and you know, just some details there and let's get into it. Yeah, so my first deal is a funny one. So in January of 2016 or so, I found a deal and I was like, yeah. So I marched into the bank with my 700 something credit score and my little bit of cash and say, hey guys, I want to buy this $1.3 million apartment building. And they kind of look at me and say, yeah, when we look at your schedule of real estate owned, we don't really think you're qualified to do this. I said, but we're going to have third-party property manager, so on and so forth. And they're like, yeah, no. And so I tuck my tail after going to a few different banks and I decide, well, I guess I'll just flip some houses until I can build up some capital and get a better network. And so one day I'm standing on the porch of one of my flip houses and an investor in the community stops by and he's like, hey man, I'm looking at this apartment building. Do you know anything about it? I was like, man, I would really love to be in that deal. It's the same one I tried to buy back in January. And please don't leave me out. Let me be included in the process. Anyway, he goes off and makes an offer. He doesn't get it accepted. He circles back with another one of my investor friends and he said, oh, that's the project that Jerome was trying to get in on. And so the three of us come together and then two other guys get together. We get the property under contract and then we close in November of the same year. As we started going through the process of executing the business plan, we realized there were some significant issues that we didn't catch during due diligence. And instead of being able to renovate the units on turns, we cleared the whole thing. Fortunately, we have some pretty strong partners in the deal. So that strain on the finances wasn't as painful as we thought it would have been going into the project, but it still was a drastic shift in our execution strategy. You mentioned you cleared the whole thing. What do you mean by that? Yeah, we either evicted okay. or made people move to a different facility. Our property manager manages a little over 3,500 doors throughout Virginia. And so he had options if people could qualify uh, through the credit checks and the background checks to, for them to go to other properties. And so we went to zero on occupancy for this property. You know, that's a big decision, right? What were some of the problems that weren't found during due diligence that really make a decision that big? I think the biggest one, I can't say that it wasn't found. I think we just underestimated it. The okay. main sewer pipe for one of the buildings was crushed. And so there were some symptoms of an issue with the sewer pipe. There was some backup in the kitchen sink from time to time. Sometimes the toilets wouldn't flush but we didn't realize that we were going to have to pull that whole thing out and put a new one in. And so in order to do that, I mean, the people will be without plumbing for a few days. And so then you get into this game of putting people in hotels and so on and so forth. And 
all the concrete cutting and pouring and all the other demolition necessary to complete the repairs, it for us, it made sense to try to be as efficient as possible and pull everybody out of there and just allow the crews to go in and work as quickly as they could without trying to move people's furniture and be quiet during this time and some of the other stuff. Okay. No, that makes sense. It's a pretty big deal if if tenants are not going to have plumbing for so many days or longer. Were there other due diligence issues that you wish you had known about or found? I think that one was the one that caused the most trouble. I think the other thing that was a challenge, I think we underestimated the level of effort on, was the permit piece of it. So as far as what drawings we had to have, what needed to be permitted, what didn't need to be permitted, those things ended up being pretty big deal. And we were able to get some stuff done. And then we'd have other, like we were able to get the HVAC permit, but the plumbing inspector didn't like the way that that was written. So it was like we got pulled back and then we had to kind of start all the way over again from a permitting standpoint. And so we just kept spinning in this permitting cycle and it created a lot of issues. And the thing that we thought we were going to do, which was save time by doing the permits as we, right before we got to the inspection point, just didn't work out. But it is what it is. I mean, yeah. you're supposed to get permits and you're probably supposed to get them before you get started. And so we have experience in single family and what we found in construction in general is a lot of people only want to do the paperwork just in time instead of getting it ready beforehand. And so we got jammed up a little bit because we followed that method. And so a lesson learned for anybody who's getting ready to do projects, you know, if you're going to buy something, you know, you're going to do a heavy renovation, you can start on the permits and the paperwork prior to closing on your deal. That way you can hit the ground running and do it without these surprises that we ran into after the fact. Great tip. If I had to do it all over again, that's exactly what I would do. I would absolutely get those details ironed out so that one, you can make sure that your construction budget's right. And then two, you don't have delays outside of your control. You can't control permitting authority, but you can control the subs and the people working on site. So take the ball out of their hand, get it back in your hand so you can go score. I would imagine your due diligence process has improved greatly because of that one deal. Yeah. I mean, I hate surprises. So <laughs> that is for sure something that we've tightened up. And So Jerome, why multifamily now as opposed to keeping on uh, flipping homes just like you were doing? Multifamily seems to be the superior real estate asset from my perspective. And I have a passion about the workforce housing crisis that we have here in the U.S. I think that everybody deserves affordable and safe housing. And what I've seen with many of the complexes that I've walked through is that a lot of the owners are not doing the things that are necessary for people who actually live in those facilities to have that. One of the properties that we took over didn't have running water in the kitchen or working drain in the kitchen. So this family, and it was a man, his wife, and their three children, instead of being able to drain their sink, they had to use a pot and they were throwing the water out in the backyard. The property that I just spoke about with the damaged sewer line, the sewage was backing up into the units. And that usually only happens when somebody's drilled like cable or something through it. 
But with the crushed sewer line, this was happening for an extremely long time. And so when we see stuff like that, it pulls on our heartstrings. Like people don't deserve to live like this. And not every landlord is a slumlord, but there are some people who just won't do the things necessary in order for their property to be sustainable. And I guess the other thing that I've learned over the past year or so is that we have to charge enough rent so that we have enough money in a spread format, you know, we have enough profit that we can actually make capital investment in a property. And so this conversation about what affordable is, I think it's two-sided. Affordable for the home or the residents and affordable for the owner of the property because it costs a certain amount of money to operate a unit regardless of what the unit is, it's going to cost you a certain amount of money. And if your rent is below that or too much, just a little bit above it, it disincentivizes you to take care of the property. What we tend to buy is stuff where the owners have taken all the stuff that they can out of the property and now it's sitting in a state where it's on the brink of going bad and you might not be able to revive it. Jerome, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Number one thing that's contributed to my success, I think it's persistence. Once I decide that it's going to happen, I don't quit. Love it. And how do you like to give back? So our family has a scholarship at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. And that scholarship is for a second, third, or fourth year engineering student. It's a full ride. And they're able to hopefully get out of school without student loans like I did. Nice. Nice. And tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. So I'm on LinkedIn. It's Jerome Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. We've got another website called Dreams Should Be Real. We're as part of our coaching program where we try to inspire folks to make their dreams reality. And that's dreamshouldbereal.com. And I think those are probably the two best ways. Our real estate investing site is developing.com, but the E's are three. So D3B3LOPING.com. And you can find out more about our real estate projects and kind of the things that we've been working on since we've got into this thing full time. Nice. Well, Jerome, thank you very much for elaborating on your experience and going from W-2 to full-time real estate and really the hardships of that. But you were persistent, as you talked about, and you made it through that and are experiencing success. And we're grateful to have you on the show and uh, you sharing with us. I hope all the listeners will go to LifeBridge Capital and also connect with me and go to the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, so we can all learn from experts like Jerome. And we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.